Welcome to Tell the Story Right. I'm super excited about this episode where I get to interview Ryan Corey from St. Vincent de Paul. Ryan, you there? Hi, Dallas. How you doing? I'm doing well. Well, guys, thank you for uh, coming to Tell the Story Right. I'm super excited about today's uh, interview. Um, so Ryan and I, just to give context, you know, Ryan and I have been friends for a while now. Um, actually, someone asked me the other day how we met, and I actually don't remember how we met. Uh, one of our mutual buddies, uh, Dustin Bruton, introduced oh, us, I think. That's right. And we met at, like, anyway, yeah, I, that's right. There, there's, the, there's the hidden piece. So for what I wanted to start off with is, um, Ryan, for people who don't know what you do, um, I know you... Uh, you work at St. Vincent de Paul, um, old organization, but give people kind of the overview of St. Vincent de Paul, what you do, and like how you got into this. Sure. Uh, at St. Vincent de Paul, our mission really has two parts. Uh, most people know that we exist to serve those in need. Our motto is feed, clothe, house, heal. Whatever falls underneath those things, we do for people who need us. But what a lot of people don't know is that St. Vincent de Paul also and equally exists to provide opportunities for others to be of service. And so uh, that can come in a number of different forms. It can come in uh, people saying, you know, it's getting cold in Phoenix now. We want to do a sock and jacket drive. They might come down to our campus and actually volunteer and help us make the food, serve the food, run our dental clinic. Uh, or they might have the opportunity to provide uh, financial contributions to help us uh, make our business go. And so any, anything that falls under, um, uh, under those categories, building partnerships with community members is, is really my job. That's awesome. And I think one thing that I'm so impressed with when I first went down to St. Vincent de Paul is like how much you guys do. Um, and how big the operation is. Cause like wh when I went, I thought it was just going to be like soup kitchen, you feed a couple people, like that's awesome. They all come down there, but to see like the back office where you're helping people get jobs or you're providing, you know, uh, bus tickets to people so they can go back to a stable environment or their dental cl clinic. Um, it's just like, it's super big. So how many people do you guys serve probably on a daily basis? How many people in the community do you serve? Yeah, good question. We span from uh, central Arizona to northern Arizona. And, and so, you know, in, in any given day on our main campus, we're probably serving, I'd say, upwards of a thousand people when you're looking wow. at uh, what, the things that you mentioned, the dining room, our services to the homeless, our clinics, folks looking for jobs. So that's just on our main campus. And, and then we have 85 food pantries station central and northern arizona who each show up at the door of people in need right and so two by two they will go out and and when there's someone in need they'll they'll make the connection they'll bring a food box and and we'll ask what else do you need to be mm -hmm. stable again mm -hmm. right we don't we don't want to just drop a food box on the door you know like a like an amazon delivery and, <laughs> and then walk away it's, yeah. it's not that it's uh, our goal is to be the bridge to sustainability for, for folks. And so um, we'll do 10 million 
individual meals a year. We'll do 400,000 food boxes a year. We'll do 20,000 patients in our medical and dental clinic a year. And we're serving 4,200 hot meals every single day out of our kitchen. Uh, So you put all those numbers together and and, uh, we're serving a lot of folks. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, those. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing operation. I mean, it's it's super cool to see that's in our city. And it's kind of this underground kind of a thing. I know. Um, not a lot of people know probably all the services that St. Vincent de Paul do. Um, so what do you do? Like what's tell people about you, your specific role in the, the ecosystem of St. Vincent de Paul. Sure. Every year uh, at the beginning of the year, we essentially make a $50 million promise to Arizona that says when, when our neighbors are in need, we're going to be there to help. Mm-hmm. And uh, unlike a lot of other, organizations who who make promises to the community, be it for education or be it for uh, institutionalized health care. St. Vincent de Paul has no income, right? Mm -hmm. We don't get tuition. We don't have um, insurance payments. We're on our own. Uh, And so my primary role is to sit down and talk with people, companies, foundations, and find out if the work that we do is a good fit for how they want to impact this community. And, and if it is a good fit, then we come together and find out under what terms we all make that possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, some of the best uh, stories coming, coming from community partners are the folks who really dive all in, the folks who say, I have a little bit of money, uh, you know, be it the, the tax credit for, for uh, the working poor or uh, my company wants to sponsor a dinner uh, one night in the family dining room. Uh, but we want to be there, too. We want to do both. We don't just want to write a check. We, we want to sponsor that. And I want to bring my team down, my family down, my neighbors down. And we're going to actually be with people and serve because at the basis of everything, um, the food's nice. The food's important. We all need food. But what every one of us needs more, whether you're the volunteer, the donor, or the person in need, we need meaning. Mm-hmm. We need someone to care for us. Mm-hmm. We need connection. We need dignity. Mm-hmm. We need the recognition of humanity in one another. And those are the biggest jobs for anyone who steps on the St. Vincent de Paul campus, recognizing those similarities in all of us. Absolutely. So I'm going to step out a little bit and say, you know, for you, I think what you do is you're probably the, one of the best people, because everybody who's kind of listening right now um, is going to, you know, they've all been hit up by people kind of under your title, which is business development saying, Hey, give us money. Um, how do you, cause I think you do it so, so well, better than a lot of people that I've ever met regarding asking for money. Cause that's what, you know, the ultimate goal is, um, is to say, partner with us. So from a, from a sales development standpoint or a business development standpoint, how do you see the long-term goal with somebody when you meet them? Um, how, how is it your approach? Cause I think you, you do it the best that I've ever seen in with people. Yeah. Well, thanks. That's probably a comment uh, I don't deserve, but um, I, I think for me, you know, I feel like while I work for St. Vincent de Paul, my job lies somewhere in between you know, the, the, the 
person I'm sitting with, the, the, let's call him a business prospect, you know, not terms that we use in nonprofit, but most people will understand that. The, the business prospect and the organization. And I feel like I sit squarely in the middle, right? St. Vincent de Paul has goals and a mission that we're not going to step outside. Regard, you know, if someone comes to me and says, Ryan, I have a million dollars to St. Vincent de Paul if you save the whales. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to take a million dollars because our mission is yeah. not to save the whales. I mean, yeah. there's, there's wonderful organizations that, that take care of wildlife, right? And, yeah. and I'll say, hey, Dallas, you know, I, I so appreciate that that's how you want to impact our world. Can I introduce you to someone or an organization that might be better aligned with what you do? Yeah. You know, I feel that it's my job to do the same thing for individuals and corporations. If what St. Vincent de Paul does doesn't align with their goals, I, that, that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. I, I will try and find the alignment within our community for them. So my, my approach is really finding what's going to bring uh, meaning, joy, uh, engagement, and sometimes that fits St. Vincent de Paul and we can all hit a home run together right here. And sometimes that doesn't. And, and to be really detached from the outcome of what happens, you know, on a day to day basis for for our budget lines, mm -hmm. uh, because if I approach every relationship uh, with that just authenticity of wanting to learn about someone, uh, the budget lines are going to take care of themselves. We're going to hit enough doubles, triples, home runs to, to take care of that. Absolutely. No, I think I think that's wonderful because i think what what you're doing is you're taking more of the how do i how do i help this individual in what they want to do and and i think what i think what you what you have to do is if you're an organization if you're a nonprofit out there you've got to understand what you do you've got to yeah. understand what you what your goals are you can't just say well i just need money because that's not good um but you've got to be able to articulate hey this is this is our goals this is what we want to do and this is how we have to say it to the community and finding those people that want to align with you. Um, then I think that's, I think you do a, a great job. One thing that I was involved in, which I loved and I couldn't do it all the time. Um, so I stepped away from it, but um, was uh, the thing called the Vinnies. So the Vinnies um, for me was a great opportunity for me to be involved with St. Vincent de Paul. It was, um, it was a great way for me to, uh, I was able to do it on a quarterly basis and um, on an advisory board basis. And Ryan was the one who invited me into it. So Ryan, give us a little background of the Vinnies and why you wanted to do this thing that not nonprofits like typically don't do. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have articulated it this way when we first started, but, but what I'm really seeing around us is uh, a changing landscape of economies. Mm -hmm. So you look at um, how we now all view transportation and how Uber came in and revolutionized transportation uh, so that we, we essentially have an on-demand transportation economy, right? Um, you look at something as simple as Black Friday uh, or Cyber Monday. I, Black Friday won't be in stores for mm. much longer, right? Nope. We're, we're transitioning. Black Friday is, is in your pocket now. Yep. So 
most of the time. Unless you're crazy and you love to go fight somebody. <laughs> that's that's the only right. Time. Unless you but, want that experience of, of getting up early in the morning cold and wanting to fight somebody, Black Friday will be your thing still. And, and you know what? There will be plenty of people out there, but I guarantee you those businesses, Macy's and Best Buy, they are shifting their resources 100%. to to mobile you know, applications and, mm-hmm. and fulfillment rather than having me or you wear the blue shirt in the store, right? Yes, 100%. So, so my feeling was as community leaders, we are all – we're all looking at these economies around us and, and essentially expecting things to follow the Uber model. Now our food comes to us, right? We can order food and it'll show up at our front door. And so how do we navigate the changing world around us as a nonprofit and not do the typical nonprofit thing of being 20 years behind, you know, lagging? Um, yep. And so the, the advisory board was formed to answer some of those questions how do we get out ahead of, uh, of, of this curve, both in terms of how we engage people, uh, how we communicate with people, but also in terms of uh, how we serve people? Uh, and, you know, one of the revelations of, of our group has, has been uh, an urban farm, mm-hmm. right? And so we now produce uh, a lot of our own food, and it just so happens to be that we're also responsible land users because we mm-hmm. turned a parking lot into paradise as a famous song says right and <laughs> and we uh, put that food into our kitchen to serve families healthy meals and the people who are working in the farm are getting job skills so they mm-hmm. can get back into the job market so it's it's a really kind of circular economy that we've created and it's very kind of out there for a nonprofit. think about producing your own food, creating your own jobs, um, turning a parking lot into a two-acre mm-hmm. food production center. But it's been one of the most um, interesting developments. And so now we're now our advisory board is thinking more and more of, okay, how do we replicate that process in a different area? How do we become a circular economy that people are really interested in being a part of? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what, what would be the, you know, now that you got the venues up and going and everything like that, um, what would you say to a nonprofit who wants to engage in, with millennials or with, you know, this younger generation? How would, how would you say to go about it? Yeah, I would, I would say to be really thoughtful about how you spend, you personally, you, you nonprofit spend one day uh, and think about, how much you're on your phone. Think about um, uh, how you contact and communicate with people, and and take those take those real life examples of what you do, and put them into the structure of of whatever you're trying to build a communication stream to millennials, an advisory board of of folks who who are younger or up and coming leaders or the next generation of executives, and you know, don't, don't follow the traditional board structure because that's the way it's always been done where you got to meet monthly and you have to go over Mm -hmm. financials. And that's, that is not the board member of the future, right? The the board member of the future. And and frankly, even today says, Hey, I want to attack the biggest problem you have. 
I want to have the biggest impact I can make. And I want to do it in the shortest amount of time because I have like professional ADD and I want to see it happen and I want it to be now and I want to feel good about it today. Um, and, and I think we, we all have those challenges in our business. It's how we present them, how we communicate them and how we engage people in them uh, to, to solve them that that's changing. Uh, I, I, I love that. I love how you phrase that because I've been in the boardroom. I've been, I was a part of a nonprofit for two and a half years and it was that boardroom where it was, we went over financials, we went over this, we went over this. And it was just this reoccurring thing of like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I feel like I have so many other things that I can offer right now. And they, we only talk about them for five minutes and we're talking about, you know, is this an expense or an asset on the line item thing? And I'm going, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think a big point to that is people don't want to be asked to do the least that they can do. They want to be asked to do the most that they can do and they want to be challenged and stretched. And I think we got to do that with our people. We have to. Absolutely. And I think you're going to attract those people who want to be a part of it. And that's what I loved about the Vinnies. I think one thing was I felt like I had a voice. Oh yeah. I, I felt like I could sit down and it was like, Oh, I'm actually, I actually want to be heard and I want to be done. And then you presented problems too. You said, here's our biggest problem. And I think you did a great job. You did it. Here's our biggest problem that we have. How are we going to do it? And it was amazing with the group of people that were in the room that said, this is what we did to help. This is the sponsorships we can get. Here's the, Here's the per here's the my cousin is on this board and he's looking for people to help out with. Awesome, great. But that opportunity in the room and I and I think um I think that was really cool to be a part of and I think what you did too. So I'm speaking to anybody who wants to like talk about this or do this in their own organization, you need that person who cares deeply about the people that are on that advisory board. You can't just invite them in and then just be like, just go. Like right. you've got to engage with them. You've got to be able to to help them be a part of like your voice is known on this. You're not just a, a piece of paper or you're not a name on a website somewhere. Um, I think that's another thing that's kind of going away is, you know, you're not, you don't want to put this on your LinkedIn profile. You just want to be a part of something. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The, the, the need for recognition goes down significantly when, you don't need to be formally recognized because everyone sees the impact yes. happening, right? Absolutely. It's, it's informal and intrinsic recognition that, uh, and, and personal fulfillment and meaning. That's the best kind of recognition. You can, yeah. give, you can give someone that personal fulfillment that they did it. They, they solved the biggest problem. You don't need to put their name on the website. You just need to put their name on the website when you don't offer anything else. Yeah. Absolutely. Or yeah, where you, know, you get to be at the gala or whatever it is, right, right? Which is a whole different thing. So I wish we were recorded our former conversation that we had as we were <laughs> just, just doing this. Um, where do you see what's what is your on your heart? What do you see with nonprofits? Just like, you know, because you've, you've been in this world, you're, you're at a very high level. I mean, you're with a behemoth. You're not just a startup nonprofit. You're with, you know, a budget of 50 million dollars like what do you see what do you want to talk about yeah i think one of the things that that i'm having conversations about more and more is uh how nonprofits are evaluated um and one of one of the things that really kind of 
kind of eats at me is the idea that you can look at one number and, and traditionally the, the number is overhead, right? Mm -hmm. That you say, Oh, well, that nonprofit's really good because 90 cents of every dollar goes into the programs. And that nonprofit's really bad because only 87 cents mm -hmm. goes in. And when, when you think about it, that's us on the outside, the evaluators taking the easy way out mm -hmm. because we're not asking any questions about program effectiveness. We're not asking any questions about outcomes and we're not asking any questions about real change and transformation, right? Mm. Those are hard questions. Yep. They're hard to frame. They're hard to answer. But I would challenge people to, to look at some of those things and evaluate your nonprofit. So let's, let's continue down the overhead yep. and, and the kind of money discussion. Because if, if I had a choice today where I could hire someone for my team and the the two candidates, you know, you could project down the road. One person is, you know, you, you can pay the traditional nonprofit rate, right? You can pay a low salary. Let's say you can pay someone, easy math for me, $50,000. Mm -hmm. And you know that person is going to generate $100,000 of contributions and partnerships mm -hmm. that's not bad right two, yeah. two times return right or you could pay someone a hundred thousand dollars and they're going to generate i don't know five hundred thousand yeah well when you put all of that into your budget that hundred thousand dollar salary that that overhead rate is going to be challenged right that's a big mm -hmm. salary mm -hmm. So if you're just looking at overhead, you're saying, oh, no, can't hire that person. You got to you got to go low. Uh, but what would what would we as people rather have to help the community around us? Yep. Would we rather have one hundred thousand dollars to help the community mm -hmm. or would we, we rather have half a million dollars to help the community? Which one goes farther? And yep. and so, you know, asking questions beyond ratios. Mm -hmm is going to be really important. And it's also incumbent on the nonprofit mm -hmm. to tell, to tell the right story, right? Yep. To, oh. That, that displays that. Um, and if we're not doing a good job, then I can't expect anyone to ask the right questions. Absolutely. I, yeah, I totally, I just did a one, which I don't know if you, yeah, I just did one on high impact nonprofits of like how I see them. And I think they're, I think St. Vincent de Paul is such a solid, like, person in the community like um you know it's hard to be able to understand like okay what what did you know what do you guys do because you have so many layers to you um like you're a behemoth in the sense of nonprofits. so i did i just talked about more of like and i love to get your thoughts on this too because this is just kind of the top of my head was you know low low cost high impact where you know you're looking at that thousand dollars someone gives a thousand dollars what does that mean what does that do for the for that people um, but then also I think about too is with high impact is places that are not saturated. So like places where, um, you know, there's not a lot of people in the, in the world that are actually helping with that. Like if St. Vincent de Paul were to go away, what would that do for the community? You know, what, what, what would happen with that? Right. Um, so that's, that, that was kind of my kind of thought. It was okay. When, when people can kind of look at a nonprofit, it's like, okay, 
and I don't think there's a scale out there to say, okay, what's the, what's the saturation value of, of this? So that's why I asked like, how many people do you serve? You know, what do you do with all that? Um, so. Yeah, those are all, those are all really good points. You know, we, um, for instance, we actively try and stay out of getting into a few areas like we we do we do a little bit of job creation just by the nature of who we see every day but frankly saint joseph the worker is the number one job placement agency in the state for the people who we serve so we have space they have skill yep why don't we marry those and say we're not going to get into that business because it creates a lot more challenges for us here's your office at St. Vincent de Paul, you run as St. Joseph, the worker, and let's, let's do it together. Like let's fight the fight together rather than having overlapping missions and one, one group being able to do it really well. And, and one group not. So let me ask you this, because I had no idea that actually that was St. Joseph, the worker. I thought that was St. Vincent de Paul. Um, when I was walking around there, um, but what do you think about collaboration in the nonprofit space? Uh, necessary and not done often enough. Okay. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and, and the, <laughs> it's funny that you asked this because one of the efforts that we're taking on right now is to uh, compile all of our community collaborations because in, in the past, you know, two years, um, one of the kind of accusations that's been leveled, not at St. Vincent de Paul, just at nonprofits in general, is that you guys don't collaborate enough. And while that may be true as a whole, uh, Steve Zabilski, our executive director, looks around our campus and says, well, that's not true here. No. So yeah, if, you, absolutely. If, you, if you're saying that to me, you, we need to tell you a better story, right? Yeah. We need to tell you the St. Vincent de Paul story. So. Yep. You know, we actively have, I think, uh, I think it's up to 300 nonprofit collaborations. Uh, And because, you know, as you mentioned, we're large, Mm -hmm. uh, most of those are us benefiting someone else. Mm -hmm. Now, there's there's a few really great ones, uh, like we uh, collaborate with St. Mary's Food Bank. Uh, They will send their... They'll, they'll send us a, a number of good things, good food that we can use, but they'll also send us uh, vegetables that are kind of, and fruits that are past their, you know, goodness date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rather than them throwing them in the landfill, we'll put them in our compost pile so that we can awesome. get them in our urban farm, right? So that's, that's a awesome. really cool collaboration um, that we benefit from. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of that to go around if you just, Again, it comes back to asking the right questions, making if, if, sure that your goals align. If you're if you're a nonprofit who wants to collaborate more, what would you tell them? Oh, I'd I'd say, you know, for my my golden rule is call and ask, uh, call, call and ask at the top. You know, don't you know, don't uh, don't say, well, I sort of want to collaborate with St. Vincent de Paul's Kitchen. I'm going to call you know, the third ranked cook in, in the kitchen who works on Tuesday nights. Now, don't do that. Uh, call Steve Zabilski. Call me. Yeah. Call, uh, call the uh, director of, of all of our dining services. Um, and, and be very clear about the benefit that you want to come for each organization. 
and just ask, can we have a conversation about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's, I think that's the most direct and genuine way to go about collaboration. What would you say to somebody? Cause I, I've had this happen before where people compete, nonprofits seem to compete on donors. What would you say to somebody who says, well, I, I don't want to talk about or promote collaborate with you. Cause I'm afraid a donor is going to go over to you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard that too. And, and, you know, my experience has actually been the opposite. Um, it's that. If... So you've been stealing people from other, other places? Donors from others? <laughs> no. So here's, here's what I'll try and do. Honestly, here's what I'll try and do. When I know that one of my donors has an interest in another organization, uh, I, I'll make the introduction, right? Hmm. But I will have an idea in my mind of how that works for everybody. Maybe there's, uh, you know, maybe it's Desert Botanical Garden and, and St. Vincent de Paul might be able to use Desert Botanical Garden's master gardeners for, mm. for programs or for education. Well, rather than each trying to hit a single, let's go in together and try and hit a home run, mm. right? Got let's, it. let's get more for everybody Got it. because we're showing that we understand what your goals are. And we're being creative and not territorial. And, and this is about you. This isn't about mm-hmm. us, right? This, this is about you. And, and it's about the bigger picture too. I think that's sure. where I, I, I feel like nonprofits kind of lose sight is they're very single focused in what they're doing, which is great because they have to be, because they have to be so focused on what they're doing. But I think that's where the movement side of it is like, okay, what's our main goal in this? I mean, if we look at Phoenix as a whole, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, great stuff with the soup kitchen and, and, and feeding people, but there's probably, I don't know how many other people giving meals out, you know, during the, during the course of a day. Sure. Sure. And so like, you're a part of that movement. You're about a part of that ecosystem. So as we step outside of our own organization and more into the movement, then it, it, I think it de, um, it brings down the walls of other people and goes, Hey, we're, we're in this together. And I love the, where you say, let's hit a, you know, instead of hitting a single, let's hit a home run and just do this together. Um, so I think that, that, that really kind of helps out. What would you say? I know we talked about beforehand, um, you know, your struggle with like, um, like providing, um, what would you say? Like income for a nonprofit and all those types of line item sheets. what's what's our biggest struggle yeah like you two were were talking about before before we our phone call pre-phone call thing um about like um you know you guys don't have an income income source or anything like that so what 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 do you see with nonprofits in the community kind of engaging in that conversation yeah so it's it's really interesting we have we have nonprofits based on many many models but in terms of income we can sort of uh vaguely define it as, as two, right? We have uh, nonprofits who operate off of contracts and, and many mm-hmm. of them are with the government, state, yep. federal, whatever it might be, right? And, and that's where they get a significant amount of funding. And then we have nonprofits who, who operate outside of contracts, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, some nonprofits say we are actively avoiding mm-hmm. <laughs> being reliant on those. 
and uh, they rely on sort of private money. So mm-hmm. from, from people mm-hmm. who give tax credit gifts or from private foundations or corporations. And uh, I would, you know, one of the things that, that I think we all probably see is the continued rollback of contract money availability, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether, and, and a lot of it's on the federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, in, in terms of where I look for, for my own family, Rachel and I, when, when we look at, at giving, we look at sustainability and reputation, right? And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times those two things go together. A nonprofit is going to be incredibly sustainable if their reputation is stellar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and if they at least have a balance or focus more mm-hmm. on private money. Uh, now, frankly, all money could go away. We have no clue what the future holds, right? Yep. But I would, I would put my own money into organizations uh, that have a really robust group of, uh, of funding sources that are private. Uh, and, and that's just where I feel like the organization has made really significant inroads into, um, uh, relationships with the community, into having a great reputation and into sustainability. Absolutely. And I, I think, and we, this is what we talked about before, you know, I work in an organization where we have to have a government contract in the foster care world. We have to do that in order to get placements and get kids. We have to have a contract. So we are funded by the state because it helps them to have control. The state has control over us because they said, well, here's your funding. Now you look at a place like Sunshine Acres where they're all private funding, but they, they get private placements for kids. So there is that hole where when you're looking at a nonprofit and they do have the federal funding, I think what we do a good job is we do both. We we're able to say, okay, we need the community involved because the government's gonna, not going to pay for everything for us. Like they're not, they're going to be like, what's the lowest thing we can do. Yeah. So it's so important if you do have a government contract to say, how do we bring in the, the privatization of it? How do we help provide better services? Cause I've been at places where, you know, they, I know that they're just getting government funding and, or insurance money. And it's a dump. This is not a place I want to take any of my kids, but I have to, because they're government contracted. We have to do this. We have to go through this process. And they say, well, we just don't have a lot of money, but if they can do both, I think that's a, that's a very um, powerful story to be told in the community. Um, yeah. And, and you made a good point of people doing research and understanding mm-hmm. what kind of organization it is and the context in which they receive funding, right? Like, so for, for organizations like you're talking about with foster care contracts with the state, um, you have to understand that that's why those numbers are like that. And, and that's the necessary part of what they do. Now, you know, to my point, that does not mean that you shouldn't fund foster care, right? That, yeah. that means you have to ask the questions yep. to understand, uh, to, have, to have a good understanding of why does funding come in like that? And, mm-hmm. and so it really goes back to asking those hard but fundamental questions so that you gain a better understanding of why and where dollars are moving. Yeah. I think it's just being a smarter donor and just to not just say, well, that guy had a cool commercial. I'm just going to do it that way. Or I Google searched this and I'm going to do this. Um, I think it's just really, really breaking it down. And I, I've been on the side too, where I, I mean, I work the, the board of directors that I was on um, 
when I was doing just number stuff, you know, they were self-sustained. They didn't have to have any, they didn't have to have private money. They didn't, they provided a service for the community. And it was really hard because it was like, well, we need to tell people about what we do, but they're like, why do we need to do that? Like, well, we'll just do it this way. And we're just a business, but we're a nonprofit. But it was so cool that they were so self-sustained, but nobody knew who they were. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, it's you got to, I think for a nonprofit and the future of nonprofits, it's like, you just got to have a balance. I mean, it's this balancing act that, that I see going forward where, yes, it's great to have some income. Um, I love what people are doing at um, Phoenix Dream Center where they're, they're using their, their people on staff to teach them a new skill, but it's a screen printing shop where they can provide a service for the community as well, where they can generate income that way because they're doing t-shirts and they're kind of they're doing this little business inside of themselves, which is great, but they're not relying directly on that. That's not their crux. That's not like, well, we're not going to be able to operate next year because of this. It's a byproduct of them doing some innovation. Um, but it's not their own thing. It's not like the only thing that they have. Yes. Yeah, so social, social enterprise is, is going to be something that if nonprofits can figure out that, that circular economy that I was talking about, mm-hmm. if yep. you can figure out how to, how to do those things. Uh, social enterprise is going to continue to grow in prevalence 100%. as a way for nonprofits to both serve and create income. Absolutely. And I think it goes, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. I, I would have to say I'm, and I'm super excited about that is, you know, as you're teaching these job skills. Um, but, but Hey Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. I know we've talked for a long time and um, but um if there's one thing that you could leave with right now, what would you say? Oh, I would, I would say it's to, to understand what is available to you. I think, as I mentioned, we all have a need and a thirst for meaning and impact. And whether that is learning about all of the tax credit opportunities that Arizona and, and other states offer and taking mm-hmm. advantage of those, whether that's understanding that you have four hours every week, but it has to be Saturday morning between eight and noon, find the nonprofits that, that need people during that time, right? You know, just understanding, asking the questions uh, will make all of us much, much better community members, neighbors, and, and social impact uh, influencers. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Love it. Keep doing what you Thank you, Dallas. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. <laughs> bye.